John chapter 4, we're going to get there in just a couple minutes, um, but like we've been talking about, I am for any kind of scriptural evangelism. I wish there were more of it. Uh, we talked about lots of different types over the last couple of weeks. We talked about the broad category of impersonal evangelism, which is inviting people to church, inviting people to Sunday school, inviting people to different events and things like that. And, that, and that's fine. You're still you know, handing out tracts at the, uh, at the gas station or, or the, you know, the drive-through line and things like that. I mean, it's, it's impersonal evangelism. We're not necessarily sitting down with somebody one-on-one to talk to them, but, but I also believe that the only kind of evangelism, and we talked about this last week, that can potentially reach the entire world is personal evangelism, and that's, that's what we spent a lot of time on last week. So Christianity has had 2,000 years more now since the time of Christ, well, right about 2,000 years, I guess, from the time that he died on the cross till now. Um, so why haven't we been able to reach the entire world? You'd think that, you know, if each person wins one person and they win one person, you know, that whole thing that everybody projects out that within 35 years, the entire world could be won for Christ. Well, we've had 2000 years. How come we have not won the entire world for Christ? Um, in other words, we see the potential of personal evangelism, but practically it's not resulted in near what the potential for personal evangelism is. So why not? That's the question. So tonight, what I want to talk about is what limits the potential of personal evangelism? What limits that potential? I told you we're going to talk about some limitations of personal evangelism, and there really are no limitations other than the ones that we put on ourselves. Uh, And so we'll get right into this, and and this is your number one. I kind of did the uh, PowerPoint just a little bit different this time. Usually I give you my main points. We have six main points tonight, but what I've done is put them all up there for you. Um, is, as far as each of these, I think it'll be a little bit easier. This is number one, not enough Christians do it. Not enough Christians do it. Um, think about what the percentage of our adult attendance has won a soul to Jesus Christ this year. I mean, and I'm not even saying since January. I'm saying like in the last calendar year, from, from March of last year till March of this year. Um, you know, the average church in America has, the, has 1%. 1% of adults in the congregation have won somebody to Jesus Christ within that last year. So I did some math with that, and if you take the fact that we have 350,000 people in our county, 15,000 of them, I, I think this is kind of a conservative estimate, but 15,000 of them, let's say, attend a gospel-preaching church. That means less than 150 people will win somebody to Christ this year. You think about that. How are we ever going to reach our community, let alone our world, if we are winning 150 people a year? We have, we have more than that that probably moved into this area today, you know? Um, The problem is that not enough Christians do personal evangelism. I was trying to find a scripture verse that that could show this point, but I I couldn't find anything about that. And I think the reason why is the early church did not have that issue. They went out preaching Jesus Christ. They went out. They were wholeheartedly obedient in the area of personal evangelism, which is why they evangelized the entire communities that they lived in. Um, And we don't. We saw last week in Acts that they were being condemned for spreading the doctrine of Jesus Christ throughout all of Jerusalem, right? There was a, that was a condemnation that those leaders said. You spread your doctrine everywhere. Could somebody say that about Christianity in this area? If they pulled us before 
the council, could they say, you guys have got to stop. Everybody in this whole area knows everything about your doctrine. I don't know if they, I don't think they could say that. And I'm not talking about just us, but I'm just, I'm talking about Christianity as a whole. Because we don't do enough of it. Personal evangelism is limited because not enough people do it. But also, uh, number two, many Christians have the wrong concept of personal evangelism. The wrong concept of soul winning. They think that they're being obedient by passing out a track or by inviting somebody to church. And I'm not going to belabor this point because we've talked about it a lot. But, you know, if, well, I fulfilled my duty. I put a track in my electric payment and sent it off. And look, I'm not, I'm not against that. I'm for any opportunity that we have to get a track in somebody's hand because sometimes it's not practical to sit there and personally evangelize somebody. When you're going through the drive-thru and you want to stand there and, or you know, sit in your car and talk to them for 20 minutes, uh, that's, that's just wrong. It's not just that it's impractical. It's wrong. They have a job to do. You've got people behind you that are working on those things. Look, if you really want to sit there and talk to that person, set up a time to meet them later. You know? So what I'm saying is sometimes it's not practical uh, to spend time with somebody to give them the gospel. We ought to be looking for every way that we can to get the plan of salvation into somebody's hands, whether that be just by putting a track in a, uh, in a thing that we mail out or handing a track to somebody that we're just in passing. That's better than not doing anything at all, but that's not personal evangelism. Personal evangelism is one person talking to another person about Jesus Christ with the intention of bringing that person to a decision. And whether that means they accept Jesus Christ or reject Jesus Christ, that's their decision. But bringing them to a decision where they have to decide whether they're going to accept him or not. That is what personal evangelism is. Can we look at a couple of examples in the Bible? Turn over to John chapter 4. And I'm not, I, I wish we had some time to go through some of these things. Um, we won't take the time to go through the entire story, but I kind of pulled out the, uh, the, the, not the theme verse, but maybe the pivotal verse in each of these things. Of course, John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well. By the way, uh, what, I've, what I put in the back of the... Um, so you have book 1 and book 2 uh, of verses to memorize, and then there's an appendix in the back. And the appendix in the back is all chapter content, which means if I said John chapter 4, you would know what John chapter 4 is once you memorize it. Um, you know, John chapter 11... Lazarus being raised from the dead. I mean, uh, you know, where you can pick out things in the Bible based on what the chapter is. So if somebody says, hey, you know, oh, let me tell you, you know, let me show you a story that, that is in the Bible about such and such. And you could go to that spot and find it and, and read it in the Bible. That's what chapter content is. So that'll, that'll be helpful for you too, I think. But John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well. And of course, you know the whole story for the most part. Jesus... Uh, decided that he was going to go through Samaria, even though most of the Jews, all of the Jews did not. And Jesus knew why he was doing it, but here he meets this woman at the well. And he starts talking to her about, you know, give me a drink. And she says, well, you know, uh, you don't have anything to draw with. And he comes down and he uses what he has there right in front of him, which is a well full of water. And he uses that as an illustration to bring this woman to a decision. And in John chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And of course, that led to more questions on her part. That led to him pointing out the fact that she 
had five husbands, and the one that she was living with was not her husband. And she accepted Christ as her Savior, and not only that, she ran back and told everybody else, you need to come see this man, and look what he did for me, right? But Jesus did personal evangelism. He didn't hand her a piece of literature and keep going. He talked with her. He told her that she needed Christ. He told her that she needed that living water. Here's another one. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. And again, another story that you're familiar with, but this is a perfect example of personal evangelism. Acts chapter 8 is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip was um, preaching, uh, basically in, uh, in a meeting, if you will, um, and he went preaching Christ everywhere that he went, the Bible says. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit told him that he wanted him to go to uh, a different place, didn't understand why, but then the next thing you know, here he is next to this Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah. And so Philip, again, uses the opportunity of what was in front of him, and he said, hey, you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody tells me what, I, what I'm reading about? And Philip used that opportunity in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Philip led that man to Christ because of personal evangelism. Let's look at one more in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is the story of Paul and Silas in the jail. And again, you're familiar with that story. They were beaten. They were put in the innermost part of the jail. They sang praises at midnight. And I'm sure the Philippian jailer, as, his as he's become known, he doesn't have a name that were given anyway, but he, I'm sure, heard them, knew exactly what had happened to them, saw everything that they went through, and probably wondered in his mind, how in the world can these guys be singing? But obviously, he knew exactly what they were singing about, Jesus Christ, because the first thing that he asks them after this earthquake happens, and they, then he finds out that all the prisoners are still there, what is the first thing that he asks them? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they, in verse 31, said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. There's three good examples, and there's many more, but three good examples of personal evangelism. We saw clearly last week that the early church went from house to house sharing the message of the gospel, sharing Jesus Christ with people to, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what personal evangelism is all about. So many Christians have the wrong concept of personal evangelism. Turn over to Mark chapter 16, and I'll give you number three. The reason why personal evangelism is limited is because some Christians are motivated to win souls by results rather than by obedience. Some Christians are motivated to win souls by results instead of by obedience. You probably could quote Mark 16, 15 with me because it's very similar to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. But, but Mark 16, 15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I think the important point here is kind of what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say, and win them to Christ. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and win them to Christ. It doesn't say, and build a big church. It says, go and preach. And see, when, when we motivate people to be soul winners based on results, then they're going to stop as soon as those results don't happen. Um, let me share with you a very important point. 
soul winning is not a church growth method. Soul winning is not a church growth method. We don't go out knocking on doors and trying to win souls so that we can build a big church. Because the moment we start going out with the intention of, we've got to get people to come into this church, we've got to win these souls so that we can build this church, then when that doesn't happen, we lose all of that motivation. Soul winning is not a church growth method. Soul winning is being obedient to the command of God to take the gospel to every creature. That's why we soul win. That's why we go out knocking on doors. Does it build the church? Absolutely it does. But that's not why we do it. We do it because we're commanded to do it. And we shouldn't be doing it to get results or because of the results. We should be doing it because of our obedience to Christ. Here's number four. Personal evangelism is limited because not enough people do it. It's limited because a lot of Christians have their own concept of personal evangelism. It's limited because some Christians are motivated to win souls by results rather than obedience. Here's another one. Some uh, uh, personal evangelism is limited because some soul winners sell Jesus rather than offer him. Uh, you know, when we, we go knock on doors and you see a no soliciting sign on a door in a neighborhood. Um, by the way, if, you, if we're knocking on doors and you see a no trespassing sign, uh, that is your indication that you don't go on that, that person's property. Um, uh, when it comes to, I mean, a no soliciting sign is not technically binding for even for somebody who is selling something. I mean, that, that's a pretty good indication that if you're selling windows or something like that, they're not going to buy something from you and they're not going to be happy when you knock on their door. But that doesn't, there's no legally binding thing when they have a no soliciting sign on their door. But when they have a no trespassing sign on their property, you can go to jail for trespassing on their property because they have a clearly posted sign. And, you know, well, we're, you know, trespassing. I'll trespass on their property. They need Christ. Leave a, leave a track in the door. You know, leave it somewhere uh, in the mailbox or something like that. But don't go on the property because it's, it's illegal. And maybe even let's, let's write the address down and we'll send them something later on. Um, we need to be respectful of the laws of the land when it comes to things that we can follow, follow through with. Well, we ought to obey God rather than men. Yes, we should. But there are ways to get information to those people without disobeying the laws of the land, so let's do it that way. Uh, but you know how it is. When you see a no soliciting sign on a door, when you're knocking on doors, you think, oh, I'm not selling anything, so I can go knock on the door, you know? And that's true. I mean, uh, uh, to me, uh, a no soliciting sign does not necessarily mean much because we're not selling anything. We're trying to offer people Jesus. We're inviting them to church, but, and, and that should be the case. But some people are actually out there selling Jesus. Uh, when your motivation is results, you automatically place pressure on people to produce those results. And that's called sales. Um, I've never been involved in sales necessarily. I've never wanted to be a salesman. I've always had jobs that kept me uh, working with my hands, mostly outside. But when I was in my second year of college, I tore my knee up playing basketball. I tore cartilage in my knee, and I couldn't climb the ladders. I was basically useful to, I, I, I was doing siding at that point, and I was basically useful because I couldn't carry siding, I couldn't climb ladders, I couldn't do anything because I, I had no leg on one side. So um, they had a, uh, the Fairhaven, the school that I went to, had a kind of a contract with a um, telemarketing company that basically anybody that wanted a job from the school could work at this telemarketing company. And so I went, and I went through one week of training, and then I put in my two weeks. 
So the two weeks that I spent on the floor was basically waiting for my two weeks to be done so I could leave that place. I hated every second of being there um, because, number one, I couldn't stand sitting at a desk, you know, sitting at an office, taking one call after another. But the thing that I hated about it was the pressure that you're supposed to put on these people that you're calling that don't want to hear from you. It'd be one thing if they were calling you and then you're trying to sell them something, but you're calling them. Most of the time, I mean, I, you know, I, was, I played soccer and I did all of that kind of stuff. So by the time I got there, it was usually 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. People are getting home. They're sitting down to dinner, and here you are calling them, you know. And this is before all the laws were in place that you couldn't put, you couldn't put yourself on a do-not-call list and stuff like that. And people hung up and this and that. And here, I think the, for the three weeks that I was there, what we were trying to sell them was credit card protection. And I don't even know what it was, but they told us, you know, he had a script. This is what you got to say, and you need to get these people to sign up. And they have to say yes to this, and yes to this, and yes to this, in order for it to count as a sale. So all you're trying to do is get these people to say yes. And most of them are just like, okay, yes, just so you'll get off the phone. You hang up, and there you got another sale, you know. And the next thing you know, they find a $30 charge on their credit card because they've got credit card protection now, you know. Um, uh, I hated it, but I was taught a few things, and I hated the things that I was even taught. But, you know, it's a numbers game. It's all about numbers, and all you got to do is produce results. It doesn't matter how you get them to, to come to the place where they say, okay, yes, as long as you're getting people to say yes, you know. Um, no just means that they need more information. If they say no, then they just, they're not informed. You need to tell them again. And how many times have you talked to a telemarketer when you're like, no, thank you, and they're like, oh, but wait, there's more, you know? And now you just, you know, now I, I, I used to be like, I'll sit there and listen to them, and no, no, thank you. Yeah, but did you? No, thank you. Now I just hang up, you know, because there's so many of them. But, um, you know, ABC, always be closing. They have all these, you know, mantras and everything else. Make them feel bad for saying no. I couldn't leave that job soon enough. I hated, I hated being a salesman. Uh, and that's, I guess that's what that is. But, but that's what sales is, you know, push, 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 outthinking them, really manipulating them, uh, manipulating their mind into spending more than they want to on things that they don't need. That's exactly what sales is all about. And my whole point here is, is that that's, a, that's exactly what a lot of soul winners are trying to do with Jesus Christ. Um, sales is selfish. You know, I get a commission, and I get it. You, you have to live and everything else, but you don't care what you're doing to that person that you're getting the money from as long as you're getting the money, as long as you're getting the commission off of that thing. And soul winners who sell Jesus are selfish too. I get a number. I get a result. I, I get to feel good about myself. And that, and, you know... When, when you only get that feeling and that, you know, that, that emphasis of, I got somebody saved, that only comes through results, so they're motivated to push the envelope to, to get those results. And that is a hindrance in sowing. Motivation is just as important to God as the outcome. In fact, look at John chapter 6. Turn over there real quick. And, and you'll see where I'm going with this in a minute if you don't already, but... Um, we're not trying to sell Jesus. We're not out there just pushing for results. Do we want to put, you know, get, pe to get people to accept Christ as their Savior? Absolutely. But we're not trying to push them into something that, number one, they don't even know what they're doing. But number two, we're not trying to pester them to the point where they'll find they're like, okay, I'll pray if you'll just leave. You know, that's not, that's, that does nothing. That does no good at all. We're not selling Jesus. We're offering him. This is what you need. Will you accept him? 
You know, it, it has to come to the point where they're convicted. John chapter 6 and verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. But see, that's, Jesus perceives our thoughts. He knows our motives. He knows everything behind it. And so motivation, there's a lot of other verses that we could turn to for this, but motivation is just as important to God as the outcome. The motivation is selfish, then the means are going to be intimidation. I will do whatever I have to do to get you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, and, and again, sometimes uh, some people need to be pushed a little bit, you know? Look, you don't know when you're going to die. But I'm not trying to sell you something that you don't know what you're getting. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you realize that you don't know when it's going to happen that you're going to die and you need Christ. There's a difference between pushing somebody to accept Christ and selling them Jesus Christ. You cannot justifiably manipulate somebody into heaven. Um, because, you know, all you're going to do is manipulate somebody into praying a prayer, and that's not going to accomplish anything. You know, you can't, you can't manipulate understanding. You can't manipulate conviction. You can't manipulate faith. Selling Jesus uh, not only results in manipulation, but it also results in a shoddy presentation because you're in too much of a hurry, right? How does a salesman make money? The more sales he makes, the more money he makes, Right? So he's going to try to close that sale as quickly as he can. If that takes a little bit of time, sometimes, fine, I'll do it. But hurry up, sign on the bottom line, sign on the bottom line. I've got to get to the next house and get them to buy it too, right? And that's, that's a lot of times what happens. When all we're worried about is numbers, then what ends up happening is the presentation of the gospel is, is just half-hearted. It's, it's not got the information that they need. It's, it's lacking in, in repentance. It's lacking in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's lacking in all of those things. And it results in somebody who's being manipulated into accepting Jesus Christ rather than accepting him because they realize they need him. Um, I'm not going to mention the church because it doesn't even matter, but I, I grew up uh, in Indiana, and there was a large church that was near us, and uh, they would do what they would call a soul-winning marathon. And um, they would give prizes out to the people who led the most people to Jesus Christ during this certain time period, whatever happened to be. I don't know if it lasted a week or a month or exactly how long it was. But So naturally, obviously, being thorough was out of the question if you were trying to win as many people as you possibly could because you're trying to get this prize. You're not focused on getting people genuinely saved. You're focusing on numbers so you can win a prize. That is selling Jesus. Um, they would brag about the fact that with 400 teens, uh, they, would, they, would, they would do it with the church some, but they would do it even more with their teenagers a soul winning marathon, and they'd bring buses of these teenagers out into this area, drop them off, and they would go onto these streets and parks and everything else, and, and uh, they would brag about the fact that they had 400 teens out there, and each one would average a salvation decision every 10 minutes. I mean, think about that, you know? We got 400 teens out there, and every one of them averaging, you know, a soul every 10 minutes. How in the world are you going to bring somebody to a decision in 10 minutes? And give them the gospel thoroughly and everything else. They would lead a whole football team to Christ at one time, you know. How many of you want to go to heaven? Yeah. All right, pray this prayer after me. Everybody prays. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right, add it to my numbers. Boy, I'm really racking them up for this soul winning marathon, you know. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's selling Jesus rather than offering them Jesus. And, you know, I, I, I even watched it personally one time. We were... Uh, one of the teens, they, they had done this. They were doing this big push, and they dropped all these teenagers off on the street. We went into Gary, Indiana. Um, we ran a bus route, 
and we'd pick up these kids for church and bring them to church. And we brought a lot of kids to church every week, um, but we worked with them. And, you know, it was, and I'm not saying, oh, we're, home, we're better than these people or whatever else, but we were thorough. We wanted to make sure that these kids knew what they were doing. So we brought them to church, brought them to church, and then when they came to us to talk about getting saved, we'd lead them to Christ if that's what they wanted to do. But then we'd continue following up with them. We'd try to help them grow. This church would come in, and they had a big push every year where they would try to have these, I mean, they had, you know, certain numbers they were trying to reach, and so they would offer these people whatever they could offer them. And I remember that one year they, they, they handed out handheld TVs for anybody that came to church. Who, what, what bus kid is not going to go to church for a handheld TV, you know? So the week before that, maybe two weeks before that, they bring this whole busload of teenagers, drop them right in the middle of Gary, which was right in the middle of where our route was. We would go out every Saturday and visit these kids and talk to them about whatever. We'd go over the memory verse with them that we were going to be, you know, working on the next day and all of that kind of stuff. And we were out there talking to a couple of the kids that rode our bus, and we see these teenagers all get out, and they go over to this park area. There was this guy sitting there who was actually drinking, and you could tell that he was under the influence of whatever he was drinking. And within five minutes, this kid, we saw him lead this guy to Christ and walk away. And so we went up to the guy. You know, right afterwards, I was with, with my soul winning partner, and we went up to this guy and started asking him some questions, and it was very apparent that he had no idea what he had just done. And, you know, I, I've, it's, it's just literally what's happening is now, if we were to go and talk to that guy the next day or the next week, and we'd say, hey, are you saved? Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Yeah, I accepted Jesus Christ, my Savior, you know, has no idea what he even did other than maybe a couple terms, and all for numbers. And that's what I'm saying. We're not salesmen. We're not after results. Do we want to see people saved? Absolutely. We wouldn't be doing it if we weren't trying to see people saved. But we're not after seeing people saved just for numbers. And that's one of the reasons why we don't publish any of the numbers of how many people are saved or baptized or attend church or anything like that. Because it doesn't matter. We're trying to accomplish the job of getting people uh, to Jesus Christ. Um, I mentioned this maybe a few weeks ago, but we get a missionary letter every couple of months from, I, I don't even know the guy, I don't know how I got on his mailing list or whatever else, but we get this letter a couple, every couple months, and I'm telling you, literally within the span of a couple of months, he has three to 4,000 people that got saved in Mexico, every prayer letter that he sends out. Yeah, we did this meeting, and we had 750 people that showed up, which is great that they're getting people to come out to these meetings, you know, we had 750 people that came out to the meeting, and praise the Lord, 586 of them got saved. How do you lead 586 people to Christ in a matter of one evening, you know? And then what are you doing with those people after that? You know, all of Mexico would be saved by now if, if as many people as really were getting saved as they're saying. And that's what I'm saying. It's all about being able to say, we had this many people, and it's not genuine conversions. And that's why personal evangelism is limited because of that. Selling Jesus many times results in lying and pride because they're so worried about, well, yeah, this guy got saved when he didn't, but I've got to, I've got to count this toward my numbers, you know. We're not selling him, we're offering. And if they reject Christ, that's not on us, that's on them. We need to bring them to a decision. We cannot make them accept Christ. If they reject him, that's on them. If they accept him, that's also on them. But that's what we're doing. We're offering them Jesus Christ, not selling them Jesus Christ. Here's number five. A limit to personal evangelism, and that's that often the training aspect is inadequate. 
Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at this one more verse and then we'll wrap up here. But 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21 says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. One of the reasons why personal evangelism is so lacking is because there's a lot of times there's no training at all. Here's a New Testament. Here's a handful of tracts. Go get them, tiger. And they have no idea what they're doing or how to do it. And so um, that may sound good, but that's not training. So the result is that, number one, there's no boldness in witness because there's no confidence in knowledge. You're not bold because you, you don't feel like you know what you're talking about, you know? There's no clarity in witness because there was no carefully prepared plan that can be put into execution. You don't even know where you're going to go. You know, after you ask them the question, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? Well, no. Okay. Um, well, uh, the Bible says you can. You know, you have to have a plan. You have to know the plan of salvation. You have to know where you're going with it. And there's, there's obviously no personalization in witness because all you do is read a tract and you're not talking to them as a soul you're you're just you're doing your job and that's that's a hindrance because there's a lack of training so I, I can tell you all day long how to win a soul but that's not the same as getting out there and doing it it's like it's like uh, taking a lecture on how to play the piano right you might be able to learn a couple things from me giving you a lecture on how to play the piano but you're not really going to learn how to play the piano until you put hands on and start learning how to play the piano. And the same is true with when it comes to soul winning. You know, you really want to learn how to be a soul winner, you got to get out there and do it with somebody who knows how to do it and who's been doing it. And so, you know, I want to help you be a witness through careful, clear, personal practice um, and, and training. And if, and if you don't have that confidence, and that's one of the reasons why you don't go, then come out with somebody that's done it. And that, that goes for new soul winners. It goes for soul winners who have been saved forever that want help. But I think that's the key across the board. You have to want help, and you have to want to be good at it. And if you have that desire, the number one, the Holy Spirit will give you that, um, the understanding and the confidence and the boldness and all of those things. But, but you'll want to get good at it, right? Um, it's it's kind of like uh, kids when, you're, when they're just learning how to play the piano and things like that. Number, you know, first two weeks, oh, this is great. I want to learn how to play the piano. Then when it comes time to make them practice, they could, oh, why do I have to play the piano? I don't want to do this, you know. But then the better they get at it, the more they start to practice and the more they want to get good at it and so on. And so I think it's the same thing with soul winning. Now let me give you this, and I think this is the most important of all of the things that we talked about. That's a limit to personal soul winning. Um, personal evangelism is limited because not enough people do it. It's limited because many Christians have the wrong concept of personal evangelism. It's limited because some Christians are motivated to win souls by results rather than by obedience. It's limited because some soul winners sell Jesus rather than offer him because often the training is inadequate. And here's the last thing. Personal evangelism is limited because the soul winner is not holy. Right there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 21, it says that if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. See, who wins souls? The Holy Spirit, right? We can tell them, but we can't win them. The Holy Spirit wins them. The Holy Spirit's the one that brings that conviction in their heart. The Holy Spirit's the one that does that. So the Holy Spirit flows much better through a clean vessel than he does through a dirty one. 
And so if we are a sanctified vessel, then we are fit for the master's use. Then we're fit to be able to be used by him. Unholy soul winners are powerless soul winners. How do you expect God to use you if you're not holy? How do you expect to get out there and stand at somebody's doorstep and have the Holy Spirit lead you in what to say if you're not holy? You know what the Bible says, right? If a man, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If he can't hear your prayers, then what makes you think that he's going to lead you in, in a soul winning, you know? Uh, at, least, at least he can't use you to the extent that he wants to use us. I hope, I hope that through, through what we've talked about these last few weeks that you can see very clearly that personal evangelism is the most effective way to win souls. Um, impersonal evangelism is fine. Uh, it's better than not doing anything at all. But personal evangelism is the way that we're going to reach people for Jesus Christ. And we don't do it enough. And that's due in large part because the devil is trying to fight us tooth and nail to keep it from happening. And when we fall prey into all of these different things that we talked about that are limiting personal evangelism, it's because, you know, uh, we're allowing him to win. And he's, he's fighting us. He doesn't want it to happen. He realizes the importance of people out there sharing the gospel with others. Look, I mean, all you have to do is just look back to what happened in the book of Acts. You know, they won their world for Jesus Christ, right? We talked about that in Jerusalem. They filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. What was it said about uh, Jason and some of these other guys? They turned the world upside down. It doesn't happen because they're inviting people to come to a you know, a YMCA meeting or something. It happens because they're out there personally evangelizing, sharing the gospel with people. So next week, we're going to begin a series along the same lines, but we're going to look at the enemies of soul winning and how we can overcome those enemies. The devil is fighting against us. He doesn't want it to happen. Um, so there's some enemies that we are fighting against when it comes to soul winning, and that's what we're going to start looking at next week. Unless we have these books, and then we're going to take next week to go over that. Uh, but if not, then we'll do it the week after that, all right? Let's be soul winners for Christ. Let's, let's be personal evangelists for Jesus Christ. That's the way that we're going to win, not just this community, but reach beyond this community uh, to help others accept Christ as their Savior, all right? Let's pray. Father, we love you again. We thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the ability that you've given every one of us to be soul winners. And many of us maybe think that we don't have that ability, but that's, that's only limited because of our limitations that we put on ourselves. You want to use us. You want us to be soul winners. You want us to share the gospel. And you'll help us do that to the fullest of your ability, and that is, that, that's limitless. And so I pray that you'd help us uh, to depend on your power. pray that you'd help us to have that desire to see others come to know you as their Savior to the point that we just get out there and do it. And God, I pray that you would just continue to give us opportunities that we'd be able to see people come to know you as their Savior. And we'll thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.